Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning actionable tips to create long-term wealth, crushing the limiting beliefs holding us back from success, or diving into all of the best ways to effectively balance our blood sugar. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today's episode is about a subject that I don't really hear discussed often on podcasts or on social media, so I am very excited to share it with you all. We are talking all about epigenetics. And if you're like, huh, what even is epigenetics? You are not alone. So many of you asked me that when I shared the topic on my Instagram stories. Basically, in the most simplified terms, epigenetics is the science of how our behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes actually manifest in our bodies. So on this episode, you'll hear about how specific foods and lifestyle changes can literally change the expression of our genes to have huge health impacts. It's an incredibly exciting area of science that I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about in upcoming years. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Lucia Aronica to the podcast. Dr. Aronica is a lecturer at Stanford University whose research investigates how diet, genetics, and epigenetics interact with each other to impact our health and longevity, and how to use that information to design personal lifestyle interventions. She is an acclaimed speaker and serves as an advisor for companies active in the personal genomics and precision health field. She has also published research papers in top-ranked peer-reviewed journals such as Cell, Genes and Development, and the EMBO Journal. Dr. Ronica is so good at taking this incredibly complex science and making it easy to understand and easy to translate into actionable tips that you can actually incorporate into your life today. On this episode, we talk about how our genes are impacted by our everyday choices, what it means to have cancer-causing genes and why it's different than you might think, the top two environmental toxins to avoid to protect your DNA, exactly what to do to start reversing genetic markers, plus the number of years it takes to reverse markers from smoking, eating less well, and more, the specific foods to add to your diet to turn on your cellular defense mechanisms, exactly which foods have the most epigenetic benefits, how to prepare foods you're already eating to maximize their epigenetic benefits, how different diets impact our gene expression, the lifestyle choices that have the best and worst impacts on our gene expression, the impact of childhood trauma on your genes, plus exactly how to reverse it, if genetic testing is really worth it or if it's a waste of time, what pregnant people can do to positively impact their offspring's epigenetics, and so much more. As always, Dr. Aronica and I would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, and I really want to know what you learn or what hacks stick with you, so definitely screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at Dr. Lucia Aronica. And if you love this episode, please share it with someone in your network. There's truly so much valuable information in here, and I think it's so important and empowering to know the ways that we can all support a healthier, longer, happier life. Also, sharing the podcast is the single best way to support the show. Actually, speaking of that, friends, we are well over my 2,000 review goal, so I can finally shut up about that. And also, we passed the 3 million download mark a while ago, so I decided that it was high time to celebrate with a little thank you gift. I am giving away three Vitamixes, which is always the thing that you request the most. They are literally the best blender in the world, and I make my green smoothies in mine every single morning. 
Truly, the only downside is that they cost $550 each, which is why I am so excited to gift three of you with one of your very own. To enter, just make sure that you have left a podcast review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There is no need to mention the giveaway. Just leave a honest review and I will ask you to send a screenshot if I choose you as a winner. And then tag a friend on my Instagram post about the giveaway and tell them which episode of the podcast that they would like and why. You can tag as many friends as you would like and you will get a new entry every single time. If you don't have Instagram, you can share an episode with a friend by text or email and tell them why they like it and then send a screenshot to giveaway at lizmoody.com with the subject line Vitamix entry. Again, you can get entries for every single time that you share. I really cannot thank you enough for the support that you have given the podcast and for all of you out there who are constantly spreading the word about it, even when I'm not giving you a Vitamix as a thank you present, you are all the absolute best community in the world, and I appreciate you so, so, so much. If you're looking for an episode to share, to enter, well, this one right here is a very good contender. Are you ready to have your mind absolutely blown? Let's get right into it with Dr. Lucia Aronica. Dr. Lucia, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. I was telling you before we started that one of your students actually recommended you to me, and she said it was the most life-changing class she had ever taken. Thank you very much, Liz, for having me. And it's thrilling to hear that my students love me as I love them. I love that. Okay, well, can we just start off? I want to dive right into it. I told my audience that I was going to be doing this episode on epigenetics, and the first response was, what the heck is that? So I would love for you to explain epigenetics like you were talking to a five-year-old. So I do teach classes on epigenetics at Stanford. That's the class I was teaching to the student who referred me to you. So epigenetics means on the top of genetics. Epi means on the top, above. So above our genes, there is a second genome or a second code called the epigenetic code, which is made of molecules that can work as switches for genes. They can turn genes on or off, up and down. And these molecules respond to signals from our environment, diet, exercise, environmental toxicants, stress, emotions. So epigenetics is really the interface between genetics, which doesn't change throughout our life, and the environment, which is in constant change, and explains why our genes can learn from what we do every day and adapt to an environment in constant change and allow us to adapt and live a healthier, longer life or get sick because of bad environmental exposures. Is there a reason that genes would work like that? Why would we have genes that cause cancer in the first place? And then why would it have to be like, oh, we should eat broccoli to turn those off versus just having the genes that already have the impact of broccoli built in in the first place? So it's simplistic to say that there are cancer-causing genes. There's not such a thing. The reality is that everything in our cells is very carefully controlled. So for example, our cells divide and this mechanism goes out of control in cancer. And there are some genes that promote 
cell division and growth, and some other genes that act as a break. So these are called cancer tumor suppressor genes, the one that really try to suppress growth and uh, tumor promoting genes. But the reality is that we need both in a healthy cell. Now, when there is an imbalance of uh, gene expression, so it can be an epigenetic aberration, or when these genes get mutated from external uh, exposures, for example, we know that UV light in excess can actually modify our DNA and increase the likelihood of uh, having mutations. These are genetic alterations of the genetic sequence. They are not epigenetic. So for a number of reasons, these genes can get out of control. So it's not that per se they are cancer-causing genes. The reality is that they are supposed to work at the right time, in the right amount. And when there is an imbalance, this can lead to cancer. So weird thought experiment, but if you just took a person and you put them in a box and they never had any exposure, is the idea that there's always lifestyle factors that are causing negative epigenetic changes and we kind of need to counter those lifestyle factors with positive epigenetic changes? No, I wouldn't say that most of the signals are negative. Actually, I think that it's in our power to determine whether most of those signals are positive epigenetic signals or not. Okay. Let's start really from the beginning to answer your question. So when we are born, when the egg and sperm of our mom and dad fuse together, this produces stem cells. And stem cells are epigenetically naked cells. So what happens is that the sperm and egg lose all their epigenetic marks. And this is why stem cells can potentially become any type of cells because they don't have the epigenetic marks to instruct the cells about which genes to turn on or off. So they can potentially become any type of cell. During the fetal development, we start to acquire epigenetic marks. Then our cell differentiate in the different type of cells that make up our body, hair cells, skin cells, eye cells. So these cells have all the same DNA, the same genetics. What changes is that because they acquire different epigenetic switches, these switches act as instructions for our cells to turn on certain genes and to turn off other genes. Now, these epigenetic marks that are established very early in life during our fetal development tend to be written with a pen to be irreversible. And that's a good thing, right? We don't want our hair to turn into skin. And this is also true for other exposures. That's why during the fetal development, short after birth, it's very important to make sure that the mother and the child are exposed to good epigenetic exposures because there is the potential 
for this exposure to become permanent. Just because the epigenome, the set of all our epigenetic modification, is just being established. So it's very modifiable during that time window. So we are born and later in adult life, all these epigenetic modifications tend to be written with a pencil and potentially reversible. For example, there are epigenetic modifications that are associated with weight gain. So when we gain weight, we turn on some epigenetic switches that are associated with metabolic disease, diabetes, for example. And these are written with a pencil. We know that because there are studies in overweight and obese people that have measured this epigenetic modification before and after weight loss. And we did that at Stanford in my study, the Diet Fit study is the largest randomized clinical trial ever undertaken to compare a low-fat and a low-carb diet. And I've looked at the epigenetic marks of people before and after the diet, and specifically some diabetes-associated epigenetic marks were changing in the positive direction when people lost weight, indicating that these marks are written with a pencil. And there are other marks that are written with a pencil. For example, smoking. I can tell you whether you are a smoker or not just by looking at your epigenetic marks. And luckily, I mean, these epigenetic marks are written with a pencil, but in the case of smoking, they seem to be particularly sticky. It takes, on average, 16 years to erase those markers. This is based on studies in smokers, and we know that it takes that long. So depending on the exposure, these marks are written with a pencil and can be reversed, but it can take longer. And then there are lots of good exposures from food, for example. A concept that I often teach in my classes is the concept of epinutrients. These are nutrients in the food we eat that have been demonstrated to work through an epigenetic mechanism. So the benefits that we derive from these nutrients are in part due to their epigenetic effects. And examples of these epinutrients are sulforaphane in broccoli and cruciferous vegetables, also vitamins belonging to the B group, such as folate, and lots of other polyphenols in coffee, tea, red wine. And all these polyphenols are really molecules that plant produce in response to stress and they turn on epigenetically their cell defense mechanism. And when we eat these polyphenols from the plants, we benefit from the stress of the plants without actually going through that. It works as epigenetically does the same in our body. They turn on our stress defense mechanisms. 
epigenetically. So epinutrients are an example of uh, positive epigenetic exposure. And of course, their epigenetic traces are also written with a pencil. So we need to do it every day. If we have a great lifestyle for a couple of years and then give it up, unfortunately, that is going to be reverted and erased eventually. So we're going to dive in to so much of what you just touched on, but I want to start with Would you use the same eraser for different pencil marks? You mentioned things like weight gain, it has epigenetic pencil marks, and smoking has epigenetic pencil marks. Would you use the same epigenetic mitigating factor or intervention for both of those things? Or is it specific to the epigenetic pencil mark you're trying to erase? That's a great question. It's actually a question that gives me also the opportunity to introduce another concept, which is personalized health and medicine. So the answer is we do need a different eraser depending on the exposure. And our biology is unique. So in case of diabetes-associated epigenetic modification, we may need an intervention that is targeted to diabetes. So it's really more towards reduction of refined grains and added sugar. And we see that after these interventions, we can observe a significant change in epigenetics. In case of smoking, of course, we need to quit smoking. It wouldn't help to reduce carbohydrates for that kind of exposure. And in case of toxicants, we know that unfortunately there are also epigenetic changes linked to exposure to environmental toxicants such as BPA in plastics or phthalates in the soft plastic. And these epigenetic changes have been linked to epimutations, permanent changes that are inherited across generations in mice, across four generations. We don't have such an evidence in people because we haven't been able to follow people for such a long time. Epigenetics is a relatively new field. The point is not to be overwhelmed with this information, is to be aware of this exposure so that we can limit the bad ones, and maximize the good ones. So there are different erasers for different people. And I would like to make a remark about personalized health and medicine because my students also ask me, what are the foods for optimal longevity, the foods for diabetes? There's not such a thing. There is a food for the person. What can heal you can harm me. And the same food can be medicine or poison for different people. There are epinutrients. They are great. They can improve your epigenetics. But I can tell you whether eating broccoli, you may have a microbiome imbalance that when you eat broccoli or cruciferous vegetables, you have dysbiosis and you have more problems, right? But there is a way of using food and certain diets therapeutically. And the same concept for keto, fasting. There are therapeutic uses of the keto diet for epilepsy that we know for mental disorders. It's not only about the macronutrients. The ketone bodies are epigenetic molecules that 
turn on brain pathway and metabolic pathway, mitochondrial health pathway in our body. So they can be used therapeutically. And now that fasting is trending among all the diets trends, whether you are vegan, whether you are a keto fan, you are okay with fasting. Now we know that ketones are one of the magic molecules that are bringing the benefits of fasting. The concept now is the idea of personalized medicine and not polarizing people between these and that, trying to focus on the science and on the molecules. That's my expertise. I'm a molecular biologist. I was born as a geneticist, but I love nutrition. And so the concept is I'm in love with molecules and I'm not a friend of myths and feds. (laughs) If we're talking about smoking and inhaling bad air, maybe generally, is there any epigenetic interventions that we can do that would help combat those negative effects? I smoked in my 20s, but then also I've been exposed to so much wildfire smoke and pollution and things like that. Is there anything we can do that's epigenetically beneficial? Yes. First of all, try to limit or remove the exposures. I live in California where we have Unfortunately, wildfires very often, so I use HIPAA filters, air purifier to limit the exposures as much as I can when there are wildfires. There's not much I can do, stay inside. So limit the exposure is first, and then second, build up our defenses. And science shows that these epinutrients, especially sulforaphane and some polyphenols, can help undo the epigenetic damage of air pollution. These studies have been done, for example, in cities of China, where the air is very polluted, and scientists have really sampled the DNA of these people and measured how much DNA damage these people received. And after supplementation with epinutrients, part of this damage was undone. The same with smokers. So it's a two-phase approach. First, limit exposure. Second, build your cellular defenses. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed and, well, I was blown away. First of all, Seed is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health. But prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts 
everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you'd like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can get 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic by going to seed.com slash daily dash symbiotic and using the code Liz Moody. Again, that's code Liz Moody on seed.com slash daily dash S-Y-N-B-I-O-T-I-C. Now let's get back to the episode. So talking about those cruciferous vegetables in the studies, is there a best way to prepare them? Can we cook them? How much are we talking about? That's another great question. Yes, there is some cooking science around cruciferous vegetables, some principles to get the most benefits out of them. So first of all, let's have a little introduction about sulforaphane. Sulforaphane, the epinutrient in cruciferous vegetables, is actually not contained in the cruciferous vegetables is produced when we chew or chop the vegetables. It's just because the precursor of sulforaphane, which is called glucoraphanin, is contained in one compartment of the cell. And then the enzyme that produces sulforaphane from the precursor, which is called myrosinase, is contained in another compartment. So when you chew or chop the vegetables, you mix the two reagents and you produce sulforaphane. Now, sulforaphane in the enzyme myrosinase is heat sensitive. So if you cook the vegetables or overcook your broccoli, then you get less sulforaphane out of your broccoli. So there are a couple of tricks. The first trick is to pre-chop your broccoli and vegetables at least 40 minutes before cooking because sulforaphane is actually less heat sensitive than myrosinase. So if you produce enough sulforaphane before then you are actually going to have more sulforaphane in the end, right? You produce most of it before cooking. Okay. It's like pre-chopping, 40 minutes. And this applies to all cruciferous vegetables, not only broccoli. 
And just to recap people on what that means, we're talking cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, any of the sort of cabbage family of vegetables. Yes. Also watercress. Yes, these are all cruciferous vegetables. And there is also one favorite of mine that I discovered in Vienna, kohlrabi. It's difficult to find it here, but the beauty is that you can eat it raw, and I really enjoy it. It's like a running joke in the Bay Area that you get kohlrabi in your CSA box like all winter because it's one of the main things that grows. So if you want kohlrabi in the Bay Area, just join a CSA and they'll send you more of it than you'll know what to do with all winter long. I didn't know that. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Okay. You'll be like, what do I do with all of this kohlrabi? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the second trick, of course, is not to overcook. So perhaps you can steam broccoli or Brussels sprouts for three minutes at low heat. And then the third trick, if you, for some reason, like your Brussels sprouts or broccoli cooked, you don't like them crunchy which is unfortunately my case, then you can sprinkle a little mustard seeds at the end on the vegetables because mustard seeds contains the myrosinase enzyme. So it can still act and work on your glucoraphanin to produce sulforaphane. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, these are little tricks. And you can also mix and match. Like you can have some cooked cruciferous vegetables, broccoli and Brussels sprouts. And then you can have watercress in a salad, right? Or mustard greens. They also contain sulforaphane. So you can have a mix of cooked and raw. And these are useful tips to get the most epinutrients. How long does the sulforaphane last after something has been chopped? Like if we buy those bags of cauliflower rice at the store or pre-chopped broccoli, will that have a lot of it or does it go away after a certain amount of time? That's a great question. I'm not sure whether anyone has ever measured the maximum time, but I would say I would prefer to buy the vegetables as fresh as possible and chop the vegetable myself for many reasons. First of all, there is not only sulforaphane that is good for you and the content of nutrients is decreasing over time. So you want to have the freshest possible vegetable. Second, these pre-chopped vegetables come very often in, in a plastic bag. So if you can avoid it and just buy fresh vegetables and pre-chopped them is best. The second best is buy these pre-chopped vegetables and consume them as soon as you buy them. Okay. Don't let them sit. How do you feel about sulforaphane supplements? The few studies done show that they're not very good at increasing sulforaphane levels, not as much as broccoli or cruciferous vegetables. Now, there are different supplements, right? I think the study I mentioned was done with Broccomax. And there are more reputable brands that are doing a better job at having the myrosinase enzyme and the sulforaphane. But I am a food first person. I think that there's so much we don't know about the power of food that I'm sure that consuming sulforaphane from the broccoli is giving us so much more goodness for reasons that we still don't fully understand. So I always encourage people to save their money and just discover how beautiful it is to eat real whole food. 
And then going back to your point about personalized nutrition. So sulforaphane is an epinutrient. It's generally recommended. Is there a way to tell whether in a personalized way that's a good choice for us and our individual body? Or is it just a matter of like you try it and see how you feel? Talking about whole foods, right? I know that there are people that feel bloated when they have cruciferous vegetables. So in that case, I just suggest to personalize the form of sulforaphane. They may go with the broccoli seeds and broccoli sprouts, right? So I think sulforaphane is universally good in supporting many of our detox reactions and cellular defense mechanisms. Now, of course, if we consume whole foods, the personalization is important. And we can either decide to avoid broccoli and go with the broccoli sprouts, or some people use some tricks to make broccoli more digestible, like sprinkle some lemon juice or take some Beano, which is a supplement, an enzyme that helps limit gas production in the gut associated with broccoli consumption. So again, there are tricks that people can implement for personalization. But I would say that sulforaphane as a molecule is likely going to benefit all of us. Like also many polyphilons in coffee, right? There are some people who can't tolerate caffeine. They just That's get... Me. Ah, okay, great. It, it's anxiety, really bad for my anxiety, yeah. Exactly. So in that case, you can still get the benefits of the polyphenols in coffee by consuming decaf coffee that is extracted with a mild extraction because this is also an important factor. But again, this is a way of personalizing, but I think that the epinutrients are probably going to benefit everybody, but we can choose the best delivery method individually. I've been working on learning to incorporate decaf coffee after doing another podcast interview about the chlorogenic acid in coffee and just how it's such a wonderful thing for our body. So anybody who follows me on Instagram has been following my mission to learn to like coffee, which I've never drank for my whole life. It's been a process. (laughs) That's great. You can also try green coffee. Green coffee has an higher amount of chlorogenic acid, and so it binds caffeine more. It has just a little subtle effect in terms of caffeine release. And you can mix and match it. Apparently, it has more epinutrients, so you can experiment with that. Noted. And then you mentioned the lemon on the broccoli. I know you have a lot of tricks for combining different foods in ways that really increase their positive properties in your body. Can you share some of those? Yes. And again, I am sure this is only the tip of the iceberg. There are some food combinations that are just working powerfully in enhancing each other's property. For example, curcuma and pepper. So curcuma and curcumin is the epinutrient in turmeric, and it's been associated with a lot of detox, immune health, cellular defense mechanisms, and it's one of the ingredients of curries. It's a staple food in India, and it's often consumed there with milk, pepper, and so piperidine in black pepper is enhancing the absorption of curcumin. And fat is also a factor. So if you are taking any curcumin supplements, look for this combo, piperidine, fat, and curcumin. 
which together are better absorbed. And so this is another epinutrient bomb. And then, of course, I've mentioned sulforaphane and mustard seeds. The concept is that, yes, there is a food interaction. That's why I think that consuming whole foods is more powerful. And also traditions are probably a reason why we have been eating these foods all of the time. I'm thinking now to other combinations in my own cuisine from Italy. We have tomato, olive oil, lycopene, fat, right? And I crave that combination over and over. If we look at many recipes from our cuisine, we will probably find that most of them are based on some of that chemistry. It's just because it tastes better. I'm not a culinary science expert, but I think even the spices, the combination of spices that really appeals most to our taste is based on that chemistry. The feeling good associated with those combinations, that is a signal of health that then is reinforcing and is establishing that tradition. So I really encourage your audience perhaps to think about one of their traditional recipes and trying to reverse engineer and probably think about possible combination. Even cinnamon, for example, cinnamon and cloves in allspice, they interact with each other. I'm sure there are so many examples that I can't even think of now. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. If you like saving both money and time on healthy food, you are going to love this. I've been a fan of Thrive Market forever. Fun fact, they were actually one of the first brands that I worked with when I transitioned to full-time content creation, and that happened even though I barely had an audience because I just reached out to my absolute top favorite brands and pestered them until they wanted to work with me. And I am so excited because right now, all of you amazing listeners out there can get 40% off your first order when you join Thrive Market today and a free gift worth over $50. I love Thrive Market for so many reasons, but I'd say the convenience factor is absolutely at the top of the list. You can find everything from pantry staples like spices, rice, and cacao to the more specialty items that I used to have to go to like three grocery stores to find, like arrowroot or pumpkin puree when it's out of season or an organic pasta sauce that's actually free of added sugar. They also have pasture-raised and grass-fed meat, which is shipped frozen to your door, and bath and body essentials like sunscreen, toothpaste, and deodorant, so it's really one-stop shopping. Also, let's be real, most of us get a lot of the same stuff every time we go to the store. Thrive remembers that, so it's easy to add all of your personal go-to items back to your cart, and then you can browse to throw in new fun stuff to try, like avocado oil chips or dark chocolate-covered almonds. I highly recommend both of those, by the way. Also, let's talk about prices for a second. I'm not going to lie, eating healthy can be expensive. One of the best things about Thrive Market is that they guarantee the lowest prices on everything they sell. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it. I feel like I should say that again because it's like a big deal. Literally, if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it, which means Thrive Market's prices are the lowest ones anywhere. Seriously, browse their stuff. It's already the lowest price on so many of the products. It's the lowest price I've seen on almond flour, which I love to use in my baked goods to make them more blood sugar stable, but it can often be so pricey. 
Everything is carefully vetted for quality of ingredients and sourcing. Like if it's on Thrive Market, it's pretty much Liz Moody approved. And I do not say that lightly. You can also search by over 90 values. So you can quickly find the brand qualities that matter to you most, whether you're looking for certified B corporations, gluten-free or keto products, or BIPOC-owned businesses. Voting with our dollar is so important, and the fact that Thrive Market makes it so easy to put your money where your mouth is, literally, is such a huge win. Can your grocery store do that? Now it can when you go to thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. Join today and get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash healthier together to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. Thrivemarket.com slash healthier together. Now let's get back to the episode. Are there any other epinutrients that you're really excited about that maybe we could be incorporating into our daily or weekly diets? First of all, the list of epinutrients is just growing every day because every day we find out that there is yet another nutrient that actually has epigenetic mechanism. For example, one that I think is very up and coming in the research, I mean, it's been a staple in the diet for many years, is spermidine. So spermidine, the name comes, yes, from sperm because it's particularly rich in sperm, but also in mushrooms. And it is a nutrient that has been shown to be associated with longevity pathways in our cells. So this is one of these meta-nutrients that are produced by the microbes living within us. And I'm particularly excited about these new categories. They're called metabiotics or metanutrients, where is really an interaction about the food we eat and our own microbiome. And I think that this is very interesting. Also, beauty rate belongs to this category. So beauty rate is produced by our microbiome where we eat fiber. And we think that some of the benefits of dietary fiber is linked to beauty rate. Now, I mentioned before that ketone bodies have also epigenetic properties. And one of the main ketone bodies in the blood is beta-hydroxybutyrate. It has a very similar structure to beauty rate. And there is also some research looking at where perhaps if you are on a keto diet, you may already derive most of the benefits of fiber without eating fiber because of the beta-hydroxybutyrate that is acting as butyrate. So that's another example of personalized nutrition. You can say the requirement of fiber is 30 grams per day for everybody. Depends, perhaps depends on your diet. That is really interesting. And you wouldn't recommend the keto diet universally, would you? No. One thing that I observe uh, and we are observing in a new trial that we are doing now, I think that trying a keto diet, trying is not doing it forever, right? You may say, what's the point of doing any diet if you are doing it only for a month? Well, in our study, those who did a keto diet for only two months and then increased their carbohydrate intake for over 12 months, they had the best improvements in terms of weight loss, insulin resistance, lipids, and everything. Why? It's called the anchoring 
effect. So anchoring is a psychological phenomenon. It works in many fields, even negotiation. When you say you anchor, you expose yourself to a number. You say you need to be very low with carbohydrates. That's the anchor. It's very low. And then by anchoring yourself to that very low level, then even if you increase and you just deviate or you're not doing keto anymore, you are still maintaining the lowest long-term value of refined sugar and carbohydrates that we all agree is bad for us. So basically, in our study, those that tried the kid were able to really do only 30 grams of carbohydrates for two months. They had that imprinting effect, anchoring effect. They were later at like an education, a sort of school, right, of nutrition, where you say like, I now know very well that carbohydrates are everywhere because I had to learn this and to limit to 30. And so I have a low-carb diet myself, okay? I don't think I have a keto diet. I say I don't think because I don't count. I eat whatever I want. I'm just having a plant-centered diet, not based so my vegetables are the main source of my carbohydrates. So probably I eat more vegetables than any vegetarian, but I also eat animal foods and I don't count calories. I eat nuts and everything. Sometimes I measure my ketones as part of my classes because I also teach a class on ketones and I was in ketosis. And that's the other point. Ketosis, a ketogenic diet is just a diet to produces ketosis and ketosis are physiological states. Everyone goes into ketosis, even people who follow a normal carbohydrate diet, sometimes overnight or depending on their insulin resistance or after a training athletes. So it's a physiological state. It's very individual, but the point is that it's actually good to allow your body to go into ketosis and out of ketosis is just a sign of metabolic flexibility where you burn sometimes glucose, sometimes fat. The keto diet, honestly, is not a diet. It's a metabolic state. You can achieve this in many ways. So it's almost like how the keto diet is portrayed in media is almost harmful to the science of what is actually happening in your body. I think very much. On one end, it's nice that so many people are talking about that. Right. On the other end, of course, then there is bad around it. Most of the keto products that are sold out there, I mean, if you base your diet on those products, first of all, you probably will not be in ketosis, but then those are not very rich in nutrients and epinutrients, keto muffins and keto chocolate. I mean, if this is all what you eat in the day, good luck with your health. So again, I don't recommend one diet. I always tell my students, if we would just focus on what we all agree on, we would all be healthier, right? I think everyone agrees less refined sugars, right? And less processed food. And let's do that. And whole foods, and we will all be healthier. Now, when there is a condition where we are already sick, right? Then in that case, there are diets that are therapeutic. A keto diet can be a great option for people with diabetes, so again, it's personalized medicine. 
the keto diet can be therapeutic for some mental illness too. There is a group now, the Bazuki Brain Research Group, they are founding research on a new field called metabolic psychiatry. The concept is that mental health and metabolic health are just two sides of the same coin. And by manipulating metabolic health, for example, you can modify your brain, the way your brain works, the neurotransmitters, and really heal and treat psychiatric conditions such as bipolar disorders. There are trials showing that. And this Batsuki group has been founded by David Batsuki, the founder of Roblox, and his son had bipolar disorders. And he went through a hell of prescription medications and finally tried a keto diet and is now having his life back, back to college. And they were so surprised to found this research. So again, this is an example. We are not all the same. Polarization in nutrition is bad because is taking options out. We want to give people options. When you experience an epigenetic change, how long does it take for the pencil to turn into pen? Like how long does it last if we eat the broccoli sprouts for a month or like you said, going into ketosis for two months? but then you have these long lasting effects. How long do the negative things take to be changed and how long do the positive effects last? That's another good question. So again, it depends. We have seen that the bad pencil marks of smoking take 16 years. The one associated with gaining weight seems to take much less time. In our study, at six months, we can see a 50% reduction. It also depends on how much weight you lose, right? It depends. But assuming that you really strongly limit the exposure and reverse your lifestyle, then gaining weight is actually very rapid. Even after bariatric surgery and losing weight with surgery, I think after it was less than a couple of weeks those markers were changed in people. So there are some markers that are very quick to change, even those associated with an infection, right? Our immune response is very quick. And some of those immune molecules that we produce are produced by switches that are operated by epigenetic switches. And they need to act fast. I mean, hours. And so it can go from hours to months and years in both ways. And I think there's not one answer. It's a case-by-case scenario. But I can tell you that for most exposures, dietary exposures, the changes are pretty quick. Which can be a good and bad thing because it would mean that it's acting quickly, but also perhaps if we stop including watercress or broccoli or these things in our diet, we would stop experiencing the positive effects, correct? That's true. Although I think years of building defenses is always turning. If the exposure to a healthy diet has been long enough, you have a better basis to start from. I think that we can really capitalize on the health we build every day and then use it in moments where we need it. Let's talk about some lifestyle interventions for a second. Is there any equivalent of epinutrients that we could do in terms of lifestyle factors? Yeah. So 
The biggest, I think, after diet is exercise. There's so much science around the epigenetic changes associated with the exercise. No surprise, these changes are going to uh, switch on uh, diabetes protective uh, genes. Exercise has so many more benefits beyond uh, epigenetics. The muscle is really an organ that produces uh, hormones that modifies our physiology and works also as a sugar sink. So when we have more muscles, not only we are stronger and we prevent fractures and if we are older, for example, but also our muscle really can uptake so much glucose from our blood. So even if we have a higher carbohydrate diet, but have more muscles, we will have a lower blood sugar and lower bad effects associated with higher blood sugar, higher insulin and effects on the brain and everything. So it's, we are different people. So with a little more muscles, it's just a different physiology. And there are the epigenetics effects of turning on the right gene at the right time. So I think that's a big one. Then I think there is also a lot of science on emotions, stress, trauma in good and bad ways. Stress and uh, trauma in childhood has been associated with uh, turning on anxiety genes, uh, which is not surprising. This has been shown in mice first, but also in people in observational studies, uh, for example, survivors of the 9-11 or uh, veterans. It's an ongoing research, but unfortunately trauma is associated with these anxiety pathways. But at the same time, Stress and psychological stress offers an opportunity of modifying our uh, epigenetics. So it's been observed that we, when we go through crisis, can be uh, a divorce or uh, periods of stress. There is a phenomenon called psychological hormesis. Is this phenomenon whereby something that is bad, like stress, when it's in, in the right dose, like low dose can be good for us, can activate our defenses. When it's too much, then uh, can be damaging. So hormesis describes the two phases of stress, the good one and the bad one. Also with exercise, it's the same. Exercise and fasting, they're stressors. A little bit is good, too much is bad. And also stress and psychological stress. So again, emotions are another phenomenon that we can use. So if you are experiencing right now a crisis, think of it as an opportunity. It's a moment where our brain is just very plastic, more malleable than we used to think. We can change more quickly. Why? Because there is this stress. It's an opportunity window. And so emotions are another important factors and human connections, relationships. They're so important. We know that in communities where there are strong relationships between people, people have a better health. And some epigenetic studies also show that this is correlated with the positive epigenetic changes. Being an Italian, I can just testify of how important that is. That's the most striking difference I observe and live here. I moved to the U.S. seven years ago, but I've been all over the, the world. I've, I've lived eight years in Austria. I'm a citizen of the world. I still have uh, Italy in my heart and I have a very strong relationship with my mom, but it's only virtual. So we speak every day, twice a day, but she's 81. 
and she has a lot of energy. And I think most of her health is made of this very strong bonding she has with us and with the, the world around her. She's a supernova of energy. She's, her energy is just contagious. So cultivate your relationships, friendships, family. That's a treasure for your health. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. If you guys have been following my caffeine journey over on Instagram, then you probably know by now that I've been experimenting with things like decaf coffee, matcha, and other small doses of caffeine in the spirit of getting some energy without stoking my anxiety and getting all of the amazing benefits those ingredients offer. That is one of the many reasons I've been so excited about mud water. I actually wrote about Mudwater way back in my editorial days, and I feel like they have only gotten more impressive since then. Mudwater's signature product is a coffee alternative consisting of organic ingredients lauded for their health and performance benefits. It has just a fraction of the amount of caffeine in coffee and gives you natural energy, focus, and more without all of the jitters and crashes. Mudwater is made with amazing organic ingredients like cacao, masala chai, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon. I mean, so many ingredients that come up over and over in my Ask the Doctor episodes. Every ingredient has a purpose. The cacao and chai have been researched to improve mood. Turmeric can reduce inflammation and soreness, and the cinnamon serves as a great source of antioxidants. Mudwater also includes four adaptogenic mushrooms, chaga, cordyceps, reishi, and lion's mane to make you feel alert, support physical performance, and strengthen your immune system. It also tastes so good. It's like a chocolatey chai. It feels really rich and earthy and grounding, especially when you make it into a latte. They also have a new rest blend that's 100% caffeine-free and made with ingredients designed to help you wind down, including ashwagandha, passionflower, and reishi. If you're the kind of person who reaches for a glass of wine at the end of a long day, I would highly encourage experimenting with the rest blend. When I drink it, it floods me with a sense of relaxed calm, but I don't feel groggy or hungover at all the next day. Both products are Whole30 approved, non-GMO, 100% USDA organic, vegan, and kosher certified. If you want to see what all of the hype is about and try Mudwater for yourself, go to mudwater.com slash Liz M and use code Liz M for 15% off your order. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash Liz M and code Liz M for 15% off at checkout. I can't wait for you to experience all of the benefits of incorporating these beautiful rituals into your life. I'd like to talk about the trauma for a second because I'm somebody who experienced childhood trauma. And then I know that generational trauma, you were talking about the mice and there's been some sort of greater conversations about that in media as well. It can feel really scary to feel like you've had these epigenetic impacts that occurred far before you were even taking control of your health or control of your mind and your life. I'm wondering if there's a way to layer epigenetic impacts. Like, can we do positive epigenetic interventions now that would supersede the negative epigenetic changes that happened either before we were born or in our childhood? That's a great question. I think it's a, a personalized question where the eraser must be the right one. And you need to find the eraser that you are using and willing to use every day. Because the concept is, yes, those epigenetic changes, some of them are written in pencil, but they require a constant exposure. 
So that's where the magic is to also find that epigenetic intervention you can stick to for, for a while. In case of trauma, of course, nurturing, positive relationships, therapy, meditation can help. But it's something you need to build for a continuous amount of time before you see a result and then are able to say, okay, now I don't need to do it every day. But I think that's where you will feel that the stickiness of those epigenetic marks is just fading and you are in charge. I'm not a psychologist, so here... My advice is limited, but as a, a nutrition scientist, I also know that even in nutrition, behavior plays a big role. So any intervention and any change, the science of behavior change is even more tricky than any other science. So you need to change requires motivation. And I believe and I hope that even knowledge can be a trigger for change. That's why I teach the classes I teach, because I hope that by knowing, now your audience know that what they eat or what they experience every day is changing their genes. This can motivate them. They can provide a new motivation for change. That's the whole purpose of all my work. I don't want to promise a transformation. I don't want to give people a magic pill to say, this will change your life. No, this may change your life if you are willing to be an interactive learner and take this knowledge to empower change in your life. Yes, trauma in particular, meditation is beneficial, but as in any behavior change, it's important to stick to the plan and let you empower but anything, people, knowledge, uh, just be on the lookout for inspiration in the world to take ownership of your health and your life. But you don't think anybody should feel epigenetically hopeless, like they were doomed because they're descended from Holocaust survivors or they're doomed by childhood trauma or they're doomed because their mother did something during pregnancy that they won't ever be able to overcome that and get to the state of health that they would want to get to. Absolutely not. Actually, epigenetics is also known as the science of hope. There is always hope. Epigenetic is the soft side of our genes, is the side of our genes that we can change every day by what we do. Of course, this means also that we have responsibility, right? But I think that all your listeners and all my students are people who are ready to take control on their health. They are not scared of their responsibility because responsibility is control, and they know that. Could you share maybe one lifestyle thing we could all be doing daily that would positively epigenetically influence us and maybe one thing we should stop doing daily that would be negatively having an epigenetic impact? Okay, that's very difficult to pick only one. I can pick one for diet and one for lifestyle. I think for diet, do more a variety of foods covering the whole epinutrient universe. So more variety and, uh, of foods from plants. Plants are a good source of uh, epinutrients, not only plants, also some animal foods, including meats, fish, contain a lot of B vitamins important for uh, our epigenome. I would like actually to point out that B12 is one of 
very powerful epinutrients and is not contained in uh, animal foods. So if you are a vegan, consider supplementing with B12 because it's very important for your genome and so many other things. In terms of lifestyle, exercise. Even if you just like to walk outdoor, you don't need to necessarily build muscles. Although if I can give a preference, some strength training should be a priority for everybody. You don't need to do bodybuilding, but some strength training. I arranged to have a trainer for my mom. She's 81. She fell again two weeks ago. And I told my mom, it's only a matter of time. You will fall again. And I want you to be more prepared next time. So exercise, a little bit strength training, no matter your age, a little bit. This will save your life. And I can also say uh, relationships, friendship, family, right? Because there's no point to have the healthiest body ever. And then uh, if you are sad or (laughs) not psychologically functioning. So I think relationship, exercise, gratitude, it's very important. I'm going to ask you about a few specific things. So something like a sauna, does that work via the hormesis effect that you said where we're stressing out our body a little bit to have net positive effects? Yes, it does. And it's becoming more and more popular. You hear everywhere people and scientists talking about the benefits of sauna. I think that there is a real benefit. There is some science showing that there is this hormetic effect, also some uh, activation of uh, heat shock protein in our bodies. Again, I I didn't list these as the top actions because, for example, I don't do sauna and I think this will not change your life. I think the transforming actions are really those that I talked about before. But yes, if you're already doing the, all the right things and you want to experiment with a little of sauna, yes, for sure. Go for it. And then I've heard you talk about DHA as a really positive epigenetic effect. Can you speak to that? Yes. DHA is, is just a kind of omega-3 uh, fatty acids. It's actually the end product of uh, the omega-3 that we eat with our diet. So we can eat DHA as it is also from fish, marine sources, or we can produce a little bit from plant-based sources of omega-3s, such as, for for example, chia seeds, lime seeds. Now, the benefits of DHA and EPA are the primary end products of this omega-3 cascade and They have so many benefits for our cells. They are building blocks of our membranes. They also work as precursors of immune active molecules that resolve inflammation in our body. In this sense, they also have an epigenetic effect. So they act as a signaling molecule. It's not only a structural component of our membrane, but they also have downstream effects that impact our immune health and cell defense. I mentioned that we can derive DHA also from plant sources, but this process is very inefficient. It's probably the maximum uh, 8% efficiency when we are young, and then the efficiency of this process declines as we age. In addition, there are people that carry some genetic variants that really make them unable to derive any DHA from their plant-based omega-3 sources. And this is probably 30-40% of the population. I'm not talking of a little subgroup. So the message here, again, personalized health. Chia seeds, flax seeds are 
are great for you, yes, but you may actually not be able to derive any DHA and uh, EPA from that. So better to focus on marine-based sources if you can eat fish. If you can't consider taking a supplement, marine-based, it can be from fish or uh, even algae, but just be aware DHA and EPA are both important. DHA specifically for the brain, it seems to have uh, more benefits for the brain, but they're both critical for our immune health and overall health and longevity. Do you have a favorite fish oil supplement or algae supplement? I do fish oils. I use any reputable brand that is purified for mercury. I like the metagenics ones. There are different ratios of DHA and EPA you can choose from depending on your needs. It's just one of the many reputable brands. For me, reputable brands means they have good manufacturing practices. They are verified. They invest in science so that you can trust that their formulations have the right dose, the right form and right dose of anything you need because this is a jungle. So the supplement industry is a jungle, especially difficult to pick is a multivitamin because it requires a doctorate. I swear, I never taken a, a multivitamin for years because there was always one ingredient that was in the wrong form or wrong dose. It's so difficult. And so in general, just go with a reputable brand, do some research, read the label, what are the ingredients, why they combined that amount of vitamin and that form. But I, I am taking uh, two grams of uh, fish oil every day just because on average, unfortunately, 50 times more omega-6s and the ratio should be pretty much balanced. I mean, we don't know what is the perfect ratio. Some people say one-to-one, but anyway, we are eating far more omega-6s. So we should really eat more fish. And I do eat fish, but I prefer to be on the safer side and supplement with some good quality omega-3s. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Okay, I have a confessional moment here. I actually stalked this company years ago when I was first starting to work with sponsors because I was so obsessed with their product. It didn't work out to work together at the time, but it feels really, really cool years later to be able to share them with you. I really like to use these spots as a product recommendation tool to talk about brands that I am obsessed with, and this company absolutely qualifies, and it just feels really special to be doing this partnership after loving them for so long. I am so excited to share Dry Farm Wines. Years ago, I spent a while researching and tasting and just doing a deep dive into the world of wine, and I was shocked to find out that the vast majority of the wine that we buy at the store actually contains a ton of stuff that they're not required to disclose on the bottle. There are 76 additives that are legally approved for use in winemaking in the U.S. We're talking dyes, thickeners, chemicals to make it more tannic or less tannic, Basically, they're taking the fermented grapes and trying to standardize the flavor universally, make it shelf-stable, and rushing the vine-to-bottle process. Not Dry Farm Wines. Dry Farm Wines is leading the natural wine movement by sourcing wines according to the world's strictest criteria. Okay, to start, their grapes are organically and biodynamically grown on small family farms, which is honestly so rare and such a good thing to look for in your wine. The wine itself is totally free from toxic additives, sugar-free, low alcohol, lab-tested for purity, and even keto and paleo-approved if that's something that you look for. 
Wines that have been looked after with this kind of care typically come at a really inaccessible price point, but not dry farm wines. They're significantly more affordable than anything else that I've found of this quality. And the impact of dry farm wines extends far beyond the wine in your bottle. Their farms comprise roughly 7% of all organic vines in Europe, and supporting these small family vineyards helps preserve the healthy soil and dynamic biodiversity, which I love so much and I think is so important. They empower the 600 small family growers that they source from to focus on regenerative farming and to succeed without having to sell out or over-industrialize. Not to mention they only source from growers who don't irrigate their vines, a process called dry farming, hence the name, which saves roughly 16,000 gallons of water annually. This is the real deal, you guys. Less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's wines are grown to these standards. You can order Dry Farm Wines directly to your door and every box is shipped free of charge. They also have a 100% happiness guarantee, which is absolutely wild. Any bottle you don't love, Dry Farm Wines will replace or refund literally, no questions asked. It is amazing. You can go to dryfarmwines.com slash healthier together to try it for yourself. And when you do, you'll receive an extra bottle in your first box for just one penny when you sign up for a subscription. That's dryfarmwines.com slash healthier together for an extra bottle in your first subscription box for just one penny. Happy sipping. You mentioned that some people have a gene that prevents them from getting their omega-3s from chia and flax, et cetera. Do you recommend genetic testing in general for people? That's a difficult one. Yes and no. Yes, if you are willing to be a critical consumer and learn. So this is also something I teach in my classes, a class on diet and gene expression. There is a module on nutrigenetics. Nutrigenetics is the science of how our genes can affect our response to food. I don't recommend it to everybody because they will find in their genetic report some good information and valuable and useful, such as this one, right? It's a no-brainer. It's about omega-3s. And then they will find lots of potentially misleading information, especially when it comes to diets. Like you should be on a low-carb diet or a low-fat diet or on a keto. you shouldn't do a keto diet. That's just information to trash. No evidence whatsoever. We, in the diet feed study, tested some of the most popular genetic variants that were supposed to predict whether somebody was born for a, a low-carb or low-fat diet. Guess what? We couldn't verify that information. And that was a randomized clinical trial, 600 people, very high level. It's potentially misleading. So, yes, it could be interesting, but if you're going to do it, do it with some caveats. Yes, just don't believe blindly what they tell you, verify, and if you're inclined to do so, learn more about that. If you were to recommend one intervention to pregnant people who wanted to positively epigenetically impact their offspring, what would you say? Probably the most important one is to make sure they have the epinutrients that have been demonstrated to be particularly important during fetal development, which are the vitamins of the B group, folate is very important for pregnant women so that in the 1980s, the fortification with folic acid uh, has been uh, introduced here in the US. Unfortunately, folic acid is an artificial form of folate for some genetic reason, not everybody is able to uh, activate that form in our body. That's why I encourage pregnant women to 
go with a brand that has in their vitamins the activated form of folate, which is meta methyl folate. Some people may be able to activate that, but why don't? Why mess around with it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big bit more expensive. You could also take a genetic test. And if you have the right gene, then uh, take the artificial one. I personally don't like to have artificial forms of vitamins. I prefer to spend a little bit more on my health. So yes, a, a, a B complex multivitamin. I think that's a good recommendation. Omega-3 is very important for development of the brain, not too much minimize processed food, which may contain other toxicants that arm our epigenome. And of course, make sure that your stress level are not too high. This is so important. It's, it's just an important life. It's, it's also a science and art, the ability to acknowledge and live phases of life at the fullest, right? This is an important season of your life and just live it, live and feel and really participate in the extraordinary adventure that your body is living. I love that answer. It's like half epigenetic and half Italian. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Can you just end us on, I would love to know any epigenetic interventions, whether they're food or lifestyle things, anything that you're incorporating into your life that we haven't talked about yet? I work out, but I do microdosing workouts. For example, in the morning, while I, I'm preparing coffee, I do pull-ups. I'm quite strong, but I don't set aside a lot of time. Just while I'm doing, I, I do six sets of pull-ups three uh, chin-ups and then some more uh, wider grip pull-ups and that's a little training. And then I do a little bit more push-ups and weighted push-ups before dinner. Do you do that because there's some sort of epigenetic advantage to splitting it up into little segments like that or just because it's easier to incorporate into your day? Both. Okay. It's easier to incorporate. So the science of behavioral change teaches us. I think there is a name for that. I forgot it. But if you link a habit with another Habit stacking. Yes. You are more likely to make it happen, right? For me, making coffee and doing pull-ups goes together. Preparing dinner and doing something. Is, so that, that's the first reason. The second is that if you have a little exercise before a meal is stimulating your non-insulin-mediated glucose uptake, which is a thing, which means your muscles are taking up glucose after the training. This helps you minimize the impact of glucose of your meal, right? So I do it for that reason. And then friendships, yes, I don't have a big social life, but I derive a lot of love from what I do every day. So even just work and I talk with my mother, my friends, I make sure to cultivate those relationships. I'm bad with sleep. Sleep is also very important for epigenetics. And that's uh, perhaps, you know, something that to also consider everyone as a weakest link. You can be perfect. But if you are try to do 80% of the good stuff and 20% doesn't work, it's still okay, right? This is called the Pareto principle, the 80% rule. Focus on really on the 80% of the things that really brings you the 80% of the effect. And that's what counts. We are not perfect. I'm not perfect for sure. A hundred percent. Can you leave us with just one homework assignment, something that listeners can stop listening to the podcast and start doing today to positively epigenetically impact their lives? Yes. Eat whole 
foods <laughs> and exercise and do some strength training. In this way, it will cover everything. I love that. I'm also going to be chopping up all of my cruciferous vegetables 100%. I love that hack. Can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you and follow all of the courses you're releasing and the information that you're sharing on the internet? Yeah, so I have a website, draronica.com, and a newsletter that you can join there uh, where I send my videos, my YouTube videos. So I publish my Stanford lectures on YouTube regularly. I do everything by myself, so I'm not a YouTuber. I try to be constant every Sunday. I skip it some some weeks, but uh, they are just the original lectures from my Stanford courses. I will announce also the, the launch of my next courses. My first plan is to make available to everybody my first course on epigenetics at Stanford. I've created the first course in epigenetics ever for professionals and is part now of the Stanford Genomics Certificate. It's a very expensive course. So I'm just planning to take the part of epigenetics package that in some videos and make this a very accessible price available to all the professionals, even health coaches who want to start talking about epigenetically, critically to their clients and or people who want to understand more about their health and be inspired because inspiration is the first step to change. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of your wonderful knowledge today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me, Liz. It's been a pleasure. Whether this was your first time hearing about epigenetics or just a deeper dive into the subject, I hope you're walking away feeling empowered with information to address or explore further specific conditions you might have or that you just picked up some low-hanging fruit to incorporate into your daily life. I definitely will be chopping my broccoli 40 minutes before cooking it from now on, and I am already working on developing a recipe with broccoli and mustard seeds, so stay tuned for that. Okay, a few quick things before I let you go. One, our Healthier Together Podcast Club Facebook group is growing like crazy, and I could not be more thrilled about it. If you still haven't joined the group, I will link it in the show notes. The discussions have been amazing, and it's just so cool to see you guys interacting and talking about supplement recommendations and lifestyle tips and relationship building in general. It's uh, It makes me so happy. You can also find it by just searching Healthier Together Podcast Club on Facebook directly. And we are in the process of organizing the Podcast Club in-person meetups all over the world. So if you filled out the Podcast Club survey, expect to hear more on that in the next couple of weeks. Two, the Vitamix giveaway is officially live, so go to my Instagram post called Five Life-Changing Tips That I Learned from the Healthier Together Podcast to enter or text or email a friend a link to an episode that you think they would like, tell them why they would like it, and take a screenshot and send to giveaway at lizmoody.com with the subject line Vitamix Entry. And yes, sending them this episode totally counts. If you're new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including one about how to actually set effective boundaries with people in your life and an Ask the Doctor all about blood sugar tips and hacks. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you do not miss out on anything. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. 
I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out. 